facing life with confidence. The good, the bad, and the ugly things of life. When you have a pastor who is 62 years old, you know, when he reflects his life, probably is, you know, he thinks it's okay to add the ugly things of life. I don't think all of you have come to that stage. And it's my prayer that you don't come to that stage. Uh, probably a 30-year-old pastor may write the good and the bad things. So it's the length of that experience that has made me to put this word. Whether it is good, bad, ugly, I will face my life with confidence. How do I say this? I say this because my God is my creator. When I know he is my creator, I know I am a created being. And I know my God is my provider. And when I know that, I know I have my Jehovah Jireh. My God is compassionate and gracious. Every time I remember Jesus, I know he is gracious to me. I know his blood heals me. My God is my savior. I know I have been forgiven. My sins have been forgiven. My God is my deliverer. I have been rescued. I was lost, but I was rescued. My God is all powerful. Nothing is impossible with my God. My God watches over me 24 seven. I sleep, but he doesn't. My God loves me. He gave his life for me. My God fights for me. He is my warrior God. This is my God. 62 years. I can say that this is my God. He is my creator. He is my provider. He is compassionate. He is gracious. He is my healer. He is my savior. He is my deliverer. He is all powerful. He watches over me. He loves me. He fights for me. His unfailing love surrounds me. He dwells within me. I am the apple of his eye. This is my God and he is seated on the throne. I know nothing happens in my life by accident. All the good, the bad, and the ugly things of my life have to pass through his nail-pierced hands. That is the reason I can say with confidence that I can face my life with confidence in the midst of the good, the bad, and the ugly things of life.
if there is one thing that differentiates a Christian's life and a non-Christian's life, it is hope in the midst of the pandemic. It is the hope in the midst of failures. God's compassions, they never, never fail. They are new every morning. So we all can join with Paul and say with confidence, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is one of the best known verses in the Bible. People of all ages have drawn much comfort and strength from this verse. This verse transforms the way we face the good, the bad, and the ugly things of life. I speak out of experience. This verse covers everything that pertains to your believer's life, both small and big things. So how do we understand this verse? This verse contains five elements that assures us about our ultimate security. Whether it is good, bad, or ugly, our security is guaranteed for each one of us. So let's go over these five elements one by one. The first element is we know. This verse begins with the statement, we know. So what do we know? We know that we are living in a fallen world. And despite the fallen condition, God's love and his grace abounds. We know that. We know for certain that nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So we know beyond all doubt that every aspect of our lives is in God's hands and will be divinely used by the Lord to manifest his own glory. Now on the practical side, we only know to the extent we have experienced. We, for somebody who has not tasted honey, they may have the information, honey is sweet. They have information. But it is only when they experience, when they taste honey, they can say not only the information, I also have the experience that honey is sweet. So I have experienced, I'm not talking about information, I'm talking about experience. I have experienced my God as my savior, as my deliverer, 
as my provider, as my warrior, as my healer, as my promise keeper, as my rock, as my sustainer, as my helper, as my protector, and so on. But that's not enough for me. I want to know him more. What about you? What is your experience? As a community, do we have the hunger and thirst to know him more and more? That is the reason Paul writes in the book of Ephesians. He says in 117, I keep asking, not, not one day, two day, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I keep asking, I want to know my God more and more. We know, we know little, but we want to know him more and more. That is our hunger. The second element in this verse, all things, all things simply mean all things. It includes our present trials, tribulations, good health, sickness, joy, sufferings, prosperity, poverty, success, failures, and so on. It includes all, all things. All things cover all circumstances. This is a verse for all of us. It covers all circumstances, good, bad, and ugly things. When we are having good health, as well as when we are lying on the hospital bed, when our children succeed, as well as when they fail, when we get our promotion, as well as when we are overlooked, all things. Children of God can be confident under all circumstances. We can be confident. Whatever be our situation, our Heavenly Father will work out to produce our ultimate victory and blessing. He is our Heavenly Father, loving Father. Nothing is beyond the overruling, overriding scope of God's providence. He is all powerful. That is the reason we say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Sometimes God saves us from tragedies and sometimes he allows tragedies in order to draw us closer to him. But there is something, ultimately, something good will come out of this. You know, the great Puritan pastor, Thomas Watson, in the 17th century, he said, a sickbed often teaches more than a sermon. Now, 
on the practical side, on the practical side, this kind of knowledge enables us to lead a life of gratitude and joy. If the second wave of COVID-19 has taught me one lesson, that is to thank God for every breath in my nostrils. When we heard about the oxygen shortage, scarcity, just to thank God for every breath in my nostrils. That's the reason the book of Psalm ends, ends with this verse, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. How often we thank God for the ordinary things in our life. For example, how often do we thank God for the footwear? How often we thank God for the feet? How often we thank God for the face? We look at our face in the mirror every day. How often do we thank God? Just for the routine, these are just examples for the food, for the clothes, for the shelter, for the eyesight. We can hear, we can speak, we can commune for the lovely people by our side. How often do we thank God? All things teaches us to lead a life of gratitude and joy. Now, we know that in all things, third element is, God works for the good. Paul does not say, all things work together for good by themselves. Paul, Paul does not say that. What Paul says is, and we know that in all things, God works for the good. We know our God and that God, Heavenly Father, works for the good. But let's understand the promise clearly so that we don't struggle in our day-to-day -day existence. This verse does not promise us better life circumstances. It does not promise us better life circumstances, rather, it promises a far, far better life. This verse does not say that bad things are actually good things. This verse does not say, when we say all things, this verse does not say bad things are good. Because God is so good, he's wholly good, there is only goodness in him, he is at work for the good of his people 24-7, non-stop. He's working for the good of his people. This work, this verse promises that God works even bad things for good. Always remember the creation story. 
there was confusion in the beginning. It was a chaotic condition. If you read Genesis chapter one, there was confusion all around. And God continued to work. And on the final day, sixth day, he says, it is very good. That was the final word, very good. He is constantly 24 seven working in each one of our lives. He has not yet spoken the final word in our lives. And that final word will be very good. He has not yet spoken. That final word will be very good. We should remember as created beings, this world is created, sustained by a loving father, a person, a loving father, a personal God. He is working nonstop, 24-7 on our behalf. This, work, this verse clearly says that there are bad things, but God works them for our good. There are bad things. There are ugly things, but God works them for our good. Only God can turn the trials, tribulations, sickness, suffering, financial loss, failures, etc. for our good. We don't expect things in life to work for good of their own accord. Things cannot do that. So whenever we find that things are moving fine. It's nice. It is pleasant. Let us never forget. It is all because of God, because of his grace. And we owe it to him. When we move our hand, when we have good health, for that every single breath, for that little joy that we have, it is all because he is working in our lives 24-7. Let's never forget that. Jesus did not suffer so that we would not suffer. He suffered so that when we suffer, we would become like him. We will be conformed to his image. That final word has not yet been spoken. We are all people in the making. We are the clay that is still in the potter's hand. It has not yet come out of the oven of the furnace. It has not yet come out. When it comes out, it will be beautiful. We are in the process. And because we know that in all things, God works for the good, this, just this knowing this truth, it, remo it removes all anxiety, fear from our lives when things go wrong. None of us can say that things have never gone wrong. As I said, it's 62, I can remember the good things, I can remember the bad things, I can remember the ugly things. 
things go wrong. But I know my God. This verse does not assure us that every time we experience evil, it will be reversed or turned into good. We should understand the verse carefully because we must be careful to divine good in God's terms, not our terms. When we commit sin, we have to face the consequences. But God, in his grace, in his love, in his power, even he turns that for our good. Sin is not good. We will face the consequences, but God will use that also to bring something good. It doesn't mean that we should sin. It does not mean that. It, all that we know, God says is, I am working in the midst of your failures, in the midst of your disappointments, in the midst Midst of your disappointment, in the in in your dejection, desperation, I am still working in your life. So, what does it mean? All our trials, failures, sickness, disappointments—they only strengthen our faith and hope. That is why, children of God, in the midst of pandemic. They never lose that hope. We should always look at life's troubles as part of God's loving purpose for us. We should have the right attitude. This verse teaches us to take a balanced view towards suffering. There are some people when they face problems, difficulties, disappointments, failures, they say they lose hope and they say nothing good can come out of this. They just they lose their hope. They just leave, they, they just give up their motivation to live in this world. This verse denies that. On the other hand, there are people who embrace suffering. They, I call them as religious people because they feel only if they suffer, they're more religious, they're more pious, and they will talk about their suffering. See how much I'm suffering. But, but the Bible does not say things are good there are bad things, there are good things. The Bible only says God works them for the good. So difficulties are not to be enjoyed. Let us not teach our children difficulties are to be enjoyed, are welcomed. It is a sadistic way of living. The Bible doesn't promote sadism. A sadistic viewpoint is not there in the Bible. Difficulties are not to be enjoyed, are not to be promoted, but the difficulties are not good, but the results can be. 
because God works in our midst. Our trials and tribulations are not good. Our sickness is not good because God is involved because God is working in the midst of our trials, tribulations, and sickness, the results will be good. God uses all this to draw us closer to him. So never, never allow a disappointment, failure, sickness, suffering, loss, without understanding the purpose. It is not the question of why. We don't ask the question why. We ask, Lord, what do you want me to learn? What is the purpose? Because our God is a God of purpose. He's showing himself. He is revealing himself. So let us never miss out on this. He makes use of our sin to show us our utter depravity. The more we understand, the more we understand, the more we get closer to God, the more we understand our, our true nature, our true face. He is the mirror. We see ourselves and then we understand his love. We appreciate his love. So God works for the good. So on the practical side, there is nothing in, the, in this world, nothing. COVID-19, cancer, there is nothing in this world that is not intended by God to assist us on our earthly pilgrimage and to bring us safely to the glorious destination. Nothing, nothing in this world. He's sovereign, he's seated on the throne. All our disappointments, sometimes our plans are thrown into topsy-turvy. Nothing, nothing in this world that is not intended by God to assist us on our earthly pilgrimage. We are pilgrims, we are wanderers and to bring us safely to the glorious destination. You can put your failures, your disappointments, your sickness, your loss, your poverty, your suffering. God will bring something good out of it. Now, and we know that in all things, God works for the good. Nice. What is the fourth element that we see in this promise? Those who love him. This promise is not a universal promise. There are limitations to this promise. And Paul says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who Love him. I'll just take a little time. How do we know we love God? Some of us, we will immediately quote John chapter 14, 21. Poor as my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. 
love in the Bible is never religious. I regret that faith has some of, you know, the kind of faith with which I was brought up or grown, it was something religious. That's why I want our church to be a gospel-centered church. It's not about rules and regulations. How do we understand this verse? Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So we don't just interpret this verse just like that because we have to understand the whole Bible. The whole of the Bible, loving in the Bible is never religious. Loving in the Bible is something internal which involves spiritual emotions. When we are religious, those emotions are suppressed. But loving in the Bible is all about our spiritual emotions. I'm not going to expound on this verse, but I'll briefly touch on this verse. If we equate the deeds of love with the essence of love, we will produce hypocrites. If we insist on following the commands without understanding the true nature of love, we will only produce hypocrites. It is all about our heart, heart. Our emotions, spiritual emotions will tell us whether we love God or not. Uh, let me give an example in what I am, in, I am doing. I can give you several examples, but let me just say, I, I, I can preach the word of God. I may be a pastor. It does not mean that I love God. Just because I'm a pastor, I pray, I teach, that doesn't mean I love God. My heart can be far, far away from God. I can give you concrete examples for this, but I don't want to do that. But Loving God is all about our heart, heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. We can obey commandments without loving God. But whenever we love God, we will always, without our knowing, we'll obey the commandments. So when we make it religious, it becomes dry. Our very faith becomes dry. It is like a tick mark religion. That's why I said, I feel sorry for my own understanding. Thank God, gospel opens up all our misconceptions. You know, if you struggle with this verse, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. This is from Jesus. Our Lord Jesus only told this. Whoever has my commands and keep them is the one who loves me. So I will explain this verse from the example that Jesus gives. We find in Luke chapter 18, 18 to 22, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, 
honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. All, you know, right from my childhood, I used to wonder how, what a great man he was. All these I have kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. We know the story. I just, I just want to bring to our attention, what do we understand by the term love him? He couldn't love Jesus. The woman with the alabaster jar, she wouldn't have said, I, I have kept all these commandments. But we, she loved this person, Jesus. She could break her alabaster jar. That is love. Here is a man who keeps all the commandments, but he didn't love the person. I hope this has become a little clear. Pharisees fall in this category. Love is something. It's a glad response of the heart to all that God is for us in Christ Jesus. That is love. Now, to make it a little more clear, I'll give you a few terms so you can study this. And we know that God works for the good of those who love him. So I'll give you a few terms. So when we say loving God, what does it mean? It means desiring God. It means treasuring God. It means delighting in God. It means being satisfied in God. It means cherishing God. It means valuing God. It means revering God. It means admiring God. This is what means by the word, those who love him. Do I desire God above all things? Do I treasure God above all things? Do I delight in God above all things? Am I satisfied in God above all things? Do I cherish God? Do I enjoy him? Do I value him? Do I revere him? I don't, you know, I've been just speaking with my wife and said, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every name will bow. His name. We are somehow the name Jesus has become so common. His name is above all names. Do I have that reverence? Have we made it so common, cheap? 
his name, his name. That's why in the Old Testament, they, they just refused to take the name of God. They had that reverence. God! You cannot call him by name. Jesus! That is loving God. Loving God. Come on, community. Come, let us love him. There is nothing more greater than loving God in this world. Let us love him. Let us love him. I'm not saying, come, we'll have more property and more treasure. I say, come, let's have more of him. He is enough for us. You know, Paul, while writing this verse, he says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Why didn't he use the word who believe in him, who trust in him? Why didn't he use that word who love him? It's interesting. It has got a lot of meaning. One of the best ways we can know whether we love God or not is when we face adversity in our lives. When failures, when insult, when disappointments, when they come, how do we respond? In times of adversity, how do we respond? Job's wife told him, why don't you curse God and die? Because she didn't love God. There are many people who give up their faith when they are faced with challenges and trials because they feel they have been let down by God. On the practical side, if you love God, we will endure difficulty. We will, we will face disappointments. We will face insults. We will face failures. When we love God and we know who he is, we'll be able to endure this. But if you are using God for what he gives, we will give up our faith. We will become bitter when suffering comes. Suffering is part of our DNA. But we know our God. We know our God. Finally, not only those who love him, but those who have been called. And we know, and we want to know more and more, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Called means basically God has called us, brought us into relationship with him. I don't have to explain this more, but 
in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 24, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Now, while they were preaching, it is a general calling. It's a preacher who is giving a general calling. And what, what happens? They're stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called. Those who have been called, those to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is a special call that creates faith in our hearts. That is the special call. Who have been called? We cannot generate faith on our own. Faith is a gift. And this call generates that faith. In Romans 4.17, we have seen this. As it is written, I am made a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Calls into being things that were not. You know, one of the objectives of a church is salvation. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The more we understand our salvation, the more we experience it, the more we realize it, we'll be able to love this God more and more. This call who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not Salvation experience is something like this. You know, when Jesus was standing in front of Lazarus' uh, grave in tomb, and he was telling, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. That is our salvation experience. We were dead. We were dead. Those who have been called according to his purpose. So this verse, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So this verse assures us that the good and bad things of our lives have a good effect on us because of how God overrules and uses them in our lives. It is because just, you know, I can tell you just because things are happening good, it doesn't mean the results are good. Uh, you can go to Romans chapter one and understand what happens in a non-believer's life. He gets more money, you know, he gets the desires of his heart, but what is the final result? You can go and read that. Just because good things are there, it doesn't mean good. It is because how God uses them in our lives, that makes it good. Things by its, on its own, they cannot bless us. Just because somebody has money, the money doesn't bless them. It is God. It is God how he uses them. Just because somebody has succeeded, it doesn't mean the success makes that person well. Blessing comes from God. Uh, we will touch on that some other day. You know, it is God, our God. Let us love him. What makes a life good 
is not a particular set of circumstances, but how the heart interacts with them. That makes life good. This is a major principle for understanding and living life. Circumstances will never be smooth, calm, quiet, but they are not going to govern our lives. How our heart interacts to the failures, to the success, to prosperity, to poverty, we have to understand this. It is not as important to change our circumstances as it is to change our heart's attitude towards them. I'm not saying that, you know, just because you're sick, you have to keep lying on the sick bed. No, you need to go to doctor. That, that Don't uh, take this verse to an extreme, the sentence to an extreme. It's not that. But what is more important is how our heart, the human spirit, how it interacts with the divine spirit. That, when you learn that, when you nurture your human spirit, when you feed your human spirit, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Just memorizing, it is in your cerebral knowledge, but when you feed your soul, that spirit, that human spirit, when it is fed by the word of God, that spirit interacts with the divine spirit. And that will take us to that glorious destination. We do not always understand what God is doing. We don't understand. We are not God. And we don't have to know everything why God is doing. But one thing we know that he is a good God. And whatever happens in, his, in our lives, he is working towards our supreme good. Supreme good. I don't understand. Cancer is not good, not at all good. It's ugly. But I know my God who is with me is bringing something good out of that. He's working in the midst of that. And that makes me to be grateful to God. You know, we all know the story of Joseph. I don't have to repeat that. You know, we know the story in, in the book of Genesis. This was Joseph's testimony. You intended to harm me but God intended it for good. And in prophet Jeremiah, this verse also is a very, very familiar verse for us. He is writing to the Israelites for in exile in Babylon. They are not free people. Literally, they are in prison. And Jeremiah is writing this to them, God's word. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is what we have as children of God. We always have hope. COVID-19, second wave, third wave, fifth wave, we still have hope. Nobody can take that hope from us. Every time we look at the cross, it reminds us that God will turn the evil things in our life for our ultimate good. The more we look at the cross, the more we understand 
that God will turn the evil things in our life for our ultimate good. I just want to end this sermon with this one thing. God blesses us with good things. Thank God for the footwear. Thank God for your nail polish. Thank God for the watch. Thank God for the hand. Thank God for the hair you have. Thank God for the fingers. Thank God you can speak. Thank God for the food that's on the table. Thank God your hand moves. You're able to walk. You're able to speak. You can hear. You can see. Thank God. God blesses us with good things. I'm telling all this to remind ourselves everything good that we have, we receive it from God. God will turn our bad things for good. We are living in a fallen world. All things are not good. There are bad things. But God will turn our bad things for good. There are times when we have to face ugly things in our life. We don't know why. But God will transform the ugly things for his glory. And finally, never forget the best things are yet to come. Don't settle down for ordinary mediocre things in this world. The best things are yet to come. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. We will face COVID-19, wave two, wave three, wave five with hope. We will not lose hope. With these thoughts in our mind, let's participate in the Lord's Supper over to Pastor Prem.